to the podcast where we bring on remarkable people to tell their stories. I'm Paul Gilman. I'm Daniel Lance. And this is Podso One. This week we have Ann Kiefer, who joined us to speak poetically on her beloved city of New Orleans and how its festive spirits have been sadly dampened by the pandemic. Ann also went through COVID-19 herself at the age of 75, which was doubly harrowing because her doctors were unsure how to treat the illness back in early spring. She of course survived and is now a cheerful plasma donor. We are also joined by Ann's daughter, Jennifer, to add appreciated context and commentary. So here is Ann Kiefer. Well, why don't we start with uh, each of you introducing yourselves? We'll start with you, Anne. Okay, good evening. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself. All right, my name is Anne Zoller Kiefer. Um, I'm from New Orleans, and I am 75 years old, which sounds weird to me because I don't feel it or think it, but I am. And I was born... Um, when my father was in the service at, in Camp Livingston in Alexandria, Louisiana. My mother was from Washington, Louisiana, and my dad was from the city, from New Orleans. And um, when, when he was in the service, his brother was also in the service, David, David Zoller. And David was killed, uh, unfortunately, right at right before the war ended, he was the first wave to go into Germany, in Aachen, Germany. And so I never got to meet Uncle David. He was 21. Mm. He was a first lieutenant or a second lieutenant, and he was killed. And um, so he got, went out, and I came in April 4th, 1945. And when we came home to New Orleans, there, were no, there was nowhere to live. Mm. And so my dad... Uh, bought a little house in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, which is about 60 miles from New Orleans, right off the bay, right off the main drag. And we lived there for the first year, or I guess maybe the second or third year of my life, until my grandfather, my grandparents were building a duplex uptown in uptown New Orleans. And when it was finished, we came back to the city. And I've lived there ever since, all these years. And you love New Orleans? I've loved it all my life. It's, it's difficult right now. I have loved it all my life. I own property there, and um, I'm firmly planted there, raised my children there, um, and my soul is there. I, I mourn for my city, for all cities right now. It's, it's really a tough time right now. Hmm. So I love my city. I love my country. We'll come, I, we'll, we'll come back to yeah. uh, New Orleans, what's going on these days. But you're joined, or we're joined by your daughter, your, your baby. My baby girl. Uh, Jennifer, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? And understand that you are clearly the secondary guest here. Your mom is the primary. <laughs> I got let's, it. Let's not forget say. that. <laughs> There's a few times in life I'll allow her to be the queen. Right now is one of them. I'll take the princess chair. Um, I am the baby. Um, I do have three uh, babies of my own. Uh, Tristan, Chance, and Harley. Um, I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. I do say born and raised, but I've been in Virginia now about the last 15 years. New Orleans will always be home to me. 
I miss the food, but I decided. And long, your mother. And my mother, <laughs> the food and my mother. <laughs> but I decided a long time ago I never wanted to raise my kids there, my family there. So um, once it was time for me to start building my own family, I decided uh, New Orleans was no place for that. So I've been here now, and uh, I wish my mom would move to Virginia. Uh, I don't think she ever considered it until maybe now, but still, no, I don't think. I don't think we're there yet. Mm. But um, it sounds like a complicated love-hate thing with New Orleans. Like, it's, it sounds like you love it, but also that you wouldn't want to raise your kids there. Um, what's the reasoning? I have a love-hate relationship with New Orleans. Um, New Orleans, for me, is much different than New Orleans for my mom. Um, I believe New Orleans is the devil's playground. Um, I wasn't always uh, the best adolescent growing up, I guess you can say. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think that... uh, (laughs) I think I probably would have made some better choices if I probably wasn't in an inner-city environment. Mm. So you were in the city-city? As opposed to suburbs or... I, um, when I went to high school, I told my parents I no longer wanted to go to private school and that I wanted to go to public school. So I went to public schooling um, in an inner city situation. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not going to ask Jennifer too many questions because full disclosure to Daniel, she's going to come back on as the primary guest. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, yeah. so, and what do you think of that? Uh, the, de- the devil's <laughs> playground comment. Yeah. Um, let me. Let me. Let, let's put it this way. As if when you vi- this is what we say about. Let me. I'll give it to you two ways. When you come to visit New Orleans, I understand you visited New Orleans a few you, times. Okay. Yes, ma'am. It either grabs you and you love it, or you look at it and you say, "Ugh." You know, maybe you just go to Bourbon Street, or what, and you say, "I hate it." If you, if you, or you go there and you love it, and you love it, and, and you don't quite remember you, it, all right, and you, <laughs> and I, I and remember it, lots of, and you, and it grabs you, and you look beyond Bourbon Street, and you meet the people, and you see how warm and giving and loving, and and you, and you, and you venture out, and the city just takes hold, and you want to come back, and you just you want to eat our food and dance to our music and and enjoy our customs and our traditions. And and that's that's New Orleans. There's so much about it to love. But there's also for a lot of our children, there's a part of the city that is is dangerous. Drugs and alcohol. It's just dangerous. Mm-hmm. And there's too much of a lot of things that are dangerous. And and sometimes it's best if they move on. And, and, and sometimes we just have to encourage them to move on. And so for a lot of us, you know, with our hearts in our hand, we just have to push them away and mm. tell them to move on. Because the city um, can be rough. It can be, it can be too much of a good thing. Um, and it turns into a bad thing. And sometimes for, for a lot of our children, um, and and it's it's time for them to to go somewhere else and and have their own life and because because it's 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 hard and sometimes um, that's the best thing to do. What, what do you feel like is the identity of 
someone who's from New Orleans or the city itself? Like, what's the identity? The city is a gumbo, and, and this is what a gumbo. This is our gumbo. A gumbo is a is a soup. It's more of a stew, mm-hmm. and it's made many different versions of gumbo, um, but. All versions of gumbo have many ingredients. You can have it with a lot of different seafoods. You can have it with chicken and and okra and sausage. You can have it with so many things. You can put wild game in it. But it's a, it's a combination of all kind of ingredients. That's what the city is. It is a combination of customs and and values and and music and and culture, all kinds. Um, coming together, for the most part, living in harmony. Um, that's not always easy, and it's not always all the time. But for the most part, and the way I grew up, um, it wasn't always good or bad, but it always came out better. That gumbo always came to the table in some version, and it always tasted good. It always was right. It might not have been the same, but it always seemed to be better, a little bit better in some way. Um, A different little seasoning or a different spice or a different something, and it made it better. Over the years, we learned to to ebb and flow, to bend and weave, and to to accept change. which is where we are now. So New Orleans had always was able to do that. We were able to accept everybody else's gumbo. And we always said we were a city that was like the gumbo. We, we identified ourselves with different gumbos. And um, we celebrated, we celebrate everything. Mm-hmm. We cel- <laughs> We used to have celebrations every week, it seems. You know, there would be a different festival. There would be, you know, you go to a little town, you know, that may be an hour away or two hours away or around the corner or uh, in the French Quarter or uh, back of town or, I don't know, in the Marigny or in Treme, and there would be a festival. And you would celebrate whatever they're celebrating, you celebrate it. Um, so let's talk about Mardi Gras, because that's one big celebration. All right, Mardi Gras. I am a child of Mardi Gras. I was really lucky. Um, my dad. When you say you're a child of Mardi Gras, does that mean that you were conceived while Mardi Gras was going on? <laughs> that's a wonderful story. Uh, that could be my story, but I don't think that is my story. <laughs> um, okay, sorry for interrupting. <laughs> That's all right. You could make it my story. It could be your story. Is that your story? No, right. not quite. I don't think so. My dad uh, was a carnival captain. We have crews, K-R-E-W-E. Yes, that's each club is a crew. And my dad um, was a carnival captain. And as his daughter, you are the family of the captain. And he is addressed as captain. Um, so... That is like above all others, he's the captain. You know, another thing I have to tell you about New Orleans, people come to New Orleans, movie stars are celebrities and and they're special, but not as special as locals because we're all special. You know, you can be the king or the queen of a carnival ball or a parade or a 
the captain of this or the this of this. We're all something. So in New Orleans, we've all been somebody or something somewhere at some time. So we're all special. You know, we've all done this and right, we've right. all mm-hmm. thrown beads and doubloons. So when we see celebrities in our city, oh, you're somebody, but I'm somebody too. <laughs> so we're, we're, you know, we welcome them, but right. they, they kind of come into our, our city and kind of become one of us. And I think that's why people like to come to New Orleans because mm. we have that, you know, love of life. It, it's mm-hmm. And it's not that we just let the good times laissez, you know, le bon roulet, let the good times roll without any thought of work or learning or education. or That's not it. It's just that we celebrate life. Mm-hmm. We love life, you know, and we don't ever want it to end. And, and at this point in my life, I know how special that feeling is. Mm. So Mardi Gras and... Um, being a child, when I say a child of Mardi Gras, I mean I've grown up in the inner circle, which is so special to be in the, you know, as soon as one parade ends, they're starting to, they put it to bed and they're doing the sketches and the plans for next year or for the ball, the ball mosque where they, you know, dress up and, you know, for a little boy to, I mean, Tristan and Chance have already had tails, you know, they've already been in full dress suits already. They know that nice. feeling. I've tried real hard to make them New Orleans boys, you know, and, and we've succeeded. You know? <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> They've been in a ball and a parade twice already. That's awesome. So, yeah, okay. it is awesome. So um, explain the what, like what a carnival is and what a captain is. Well, can, can, we, can we back up? So you mentioned I've been there a few times. New Year's Eve, New Year's Day time frame. I was there for a buddy's wedding. I was there during Jazz Fest. And I went to Mardi Gras twice, and let's just say I stayed on Bourbon Street the entire time I was well, you there. You didn't do the family Mardi Gras. Though. I've never done the family Mardi Gras, so this is, I, I understand. Well, it. I, I invite I, you, if we ever have Mardi Gras again, to oh, come back with the family on St. Charles Avenue. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take you out because I, mean, I, I love it. No, and she, I'm serious, too. because No, because that's where families... I mean, you get your ladder, and you got your kids on the ladder. I mean, we got to get Harley down for Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. She's, she does. she's getting older. The plan was to go next year. Let's so, so I mean, you picnic on the route, mm-hmm. and and you wait for the parade. Get and your it's, and it's, fried chicken. And it's like, um, it starts like the weekend before the big weekend. Like, Mardi Gras is always on Fat Tuesday. Right, right, right. So it starts, the big weekend is Bacchus and Endymion, but the weekend before that, is Sparta, which is the organization that I'm involved in. So it just became co-ed like yesterday. Really? <laughs> it did. Like that's a big, that's a big announcement I'm going to make. <laughs> and that was my grandfather's parade night. So my grandfather was the captain of Mecca. And, and I was the queen one year. Sh- yes. Is the queen. <laughs> so you are sitting with this, this is just audio, but uh, it's just for our listening <laughs> audience. Anne is doing the uh, royal wave. The royal, royal wave, wave yes. yes. <laughs> So my dad was the captain. So so, um, that and that is such a cool feeling. I mean, when you see your father, who had a men's clothing store, and his his father before him was a tailor from Poland. He mm. came over when he was sixteen, and he started with you know, cutting and tailoring clothing, and married my grandmother. And they started a business, and he served in World War One. Oh wow! Yes, mm. I mean I have some letters 
yeah. where mm. he served in World War One, became a naturalized citizen, started a business, and then it was my uncle who was killed who was supposed to go into the business. Dad was supposed to be a lawyer. When he when Uncle David was killed, the dutiful son goes into the business. Right. So Dad was in business with my grandfather for seventy years. I worked with him for seven of those years. It was a joy. I mean, I can remember my grandfather, you know, cutting and then they go into ready made clothing and and so my grandfather was not so much a tailor anymore, but kind of an alterations. Mm-hmm. And I can remember back in those days where, um, you know, none of the ladies in the alterations department spoke any English. My grandfather bro- spoke broken English and Polish. My father spoke no Spanish, and they all communicated. Mm. Everybody communicated because I don't know how. I, 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 I can remember, I, I have no idea, but like daddy would say, you know, it has to be bigger here, and he would mark with his chalk and everything, and Catalina would say, see, 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 yeah, yes, yeah, see, see, and everybody would understand, and everybody got along, everybody understood, and my grandfather would, you know, take out his, his tape and measure, and it was a glorious time, and then he was gone, you know, he died, he died when I was in high school. And I, I remember now, I wish, I wish I had asked him questions about Poland, but I never did. So, so that died with him. Um, but he was, the, he was the tailor. Dad was the salesman. And I was in business with him until you were about three. So that would have been 85, about 88. And so he closed the store. And he, he said, well, Annie, it's time for you to take over the business. And I looked at him and I said, no, it's, no, I can't. It's not my passion. It's your passion. You didn't have a brother or somebody else to take it up? No, all, all my dad's sons were daughters. <laughs> 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 Both of us were daughters and my, my sister was a teacher. So I was in the business, but I didn't want it. And I've second guessed that that decision many times, but I said, no, I can't because I, I didn't want to be in the store. I loved it, but not enough. And he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I just like to be in the street. I like politics. You know, I need to be in the street. So he closed the store. He just closed the doors. He didn't owe anybody anything, and he just closed the doors. But he stayed involved with Mardi Gras. Well, he, he was still involved in Mardi Gras and involved in the city. In fact, there's a star, there's a walk of fame in front of the Hilton, right on the river. And he's got a big star there because he was so involved in the city. Mm-hmm. So he stayed and he, I mean, he continued with Mardi Gras. He rode in Sparta all those years. So let's talk about Mardi Gras. Um, as the city grew... The, the clubs grew. Now we have Endymion and Bacchus that have, oh my God, like 3,000 members. Oh, wow. I mean, you're out there all night. What, what's that you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> there are some carnival clubs that have 3,000 members. No, yeah, but Endymion. Endymion, the god, the god of youth. Okay. Bacchus is the oh, god Bacchus. of... Oh, Bacchus. Bacchus the Greek. is the god, is, the god of... I don't know, grapes, wine? Wine, wine. I think it's wine. wine. So my father helped put that parade together years ago. 
Um, all these carnival captains get together and they run, they, they organize each other's parades. It's like a big fraternity, sorority. They, the men and women, they have women's clubs, men's clubs, men and women's clubs, and they help each other. And they all work together to make sure that Mardi Gras runs smoothly. Most of the time it does. You know, most of these parades. And the parades start from the weekend before, but, two weekends before Mardi Gras. And they run all week on the weekends and then the nights before. And, and the parade is just made up of a bunch of these clubs in order walking down the parade. There they have f- big floats. Huge floats. Huge floats. Some of them are three, paper with paper mache. Three stories high. Big floats and they tandem. throw beads and doubloons and stuffed trinkets animals. and stuffed animals. And okay. Nothing like uh, what she's describing was going on in Kuwait or uh, Cairo. No. Well, I'm, I'm oh, only... Mardi Gras is, it's, it's wonderful. It's just a big, it's a season. It's not a, and then Mardi Gras day is the last day. Mm. That's a, and there's music. It's mm-hmm. all the high schools and colleges from all over. Um, it's just music and excitement and happy and it's wonderful. It's so, very exciting. Yeah. Do Do you know uh, where its origin is? Out of curiosity. Well, it's it's Mardi Gras. Fat Tuesday is um, is the day before. Um, it's all, uh, what is it called? Day before Lent. Yes. Yeah. Ash Wednesday? Yes. Yeah. So it's, um, really has religious significance, which is lost on most people who come from <laughs> It was lost, it was lost on me when I was there. Totally <laughs> lost. So it's the day before Lent. So if you find out when Lent is, you'll always know where Mardi Gras is. Mm, or when okay. Easter is, it's 40 days before that, or and the idea that. is, before we go into this period of <laughs> constriction, we should just kind of let loose. Yes, that, that, that's it. That's it. So, um, it's, yeah. And, and so, um, a carnival is, is it's that a like... a season. It's, it really starts on the 12th night after Christmas. Okay. That's when it starts. And, okay. So, January 6th, 7th. And so... Roughly. And that's when Mardi Gras starts, or that's when that's car- when the sea. It's a carnival season. And when you say it, carnival, is it like carnival or no. just carnival? It's a it's 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 a season, and it starts on the twelfth night after Christmas. Okay. And it and it and it's that's when the king cakes come out. That's when the that's when the king <laughs> that's cakes another, come to the that's, grocery store. That's okay. another that's another tradition. It's a round cake, and there is a trinket in it. A baby, and whoever gets the baby has to buy the next king cake. Choking hazard. <laughs> it is a choking hazard. I've, yes, I've seen it is them. a choking yeah. hazard. But they're the most delicious, wonderful, fabulous cake. We wow. let our kids cut all the kinds cake. of cakes. So okay, we send them all around. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, the uh, tell me what what like a captain's role is in the parade, the, ca- the float. The, the captain carnival. is like well, there's also the president of the club, but the captain is like in charge of the of the it's whole like owner of the company company okay. of the whole every 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 club is um incorporated okay so uh but the captain is over the whole thing is the director of the he's director ceo every, kind the, of the whole, the whole yeah. yes and so it's a business organization it's run by a, it's a business organization it has a board mm-hmm. it has a board dues. of directors and and the membership and a membership and you pay dues, 
And some of these organizations are very, very old. The original ones, Comus, Momus, Proteus, and Rex, started out as um, like men's social clubs mm. with the debutante coterie. And that they presented their daughters. The debutante coterie. Yes. Wow. Like I would know, I'm Jewish. Our children are not. We weren't part allowed. Of that. Those, <laughs> we're not okay. allowed. We aren't. We don't belong to that. We were okay. second generation Mardi Gras. So, 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 so <laughs> as Mardi Gras grew, there were other clubs formed around the next circle. All right. Mm-hmm. So you didn't belong to these clubs, so you belonged to other clubs. So if you couldn't belong to these clubs, then you started your own club. Right. So that's where my dad and others started these other neighborhood organizations. It might have been his happened to be Masonic originally. Mm. And it grew out of that and then it wasn't anymore, but that's how his started. And then others started, maybe in a neighborhood, maybe a part of town, and then Others grew, and they might have merged with other clubs, and they grew, and then they grew, and then they grew, and now we have these mega, mega organizations, the Bacchus and Endymion that I told you, mm-hmm. and and then then some of them became co-ed, and so we have men and women riding together, where they used to just be men's organizations or women's organizations. So now we have men and women, so. Um, and then we have a huge black organization. Oh, excuse me, it should be African American. Zulu. That's been around for, oh, forever. I don't even know how long. Decades. Mm. They do and, coconuts. And they throw decorated coconuts. No, they, they don't throw them. They hand, hand them. them out now. They yeah. hand them out. And that's, they, they parade right before Rex on Mardi Gras Day. So Zulu comes out first and Rex comes right behind them. Um, and Rex was one of the originals, if you caught that. Yep. Yep. Rex is one of the is okay. So, so big. It's 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 huge. Mardi Gras is probably one of the biggest economic engines of our city. And the city doesn't put it on. I mean, it's it's public, all private. Right? It's all. I mean, it's all private. private. You pay it's dues. All, private. all the members put it on. I mean, the police force, right, are out there in city. You know, but the, but, right. the, but, but the, each organization pays, pays for. Right. Police, trash, everything. Really? I mean, yeah, they they pay for all this. But each organization pays to parade. You know, it's it's big. Mm-hmm. But they use people who make costumes. They use restaurants. They use food services. They use, I mean, it's a huge economic engine for the city. Like, the and all the tourism Plus industry as all well. The, all the hotels fill up and... I mean, it, uh, it, it's just enormous. Mm. It's, it's and then enormous. like when my kids rode, they were just on the king's float. I mean, just for the throws for my kids to ride, and they're not throwing a ton. I mean, that was $1,000 just for the throws that are going just to the streets. So and and, so every, and then everybody that does that. Into the city. Wow. I mean, just, it's, but we if, used to call it the biggest free show in the world. Well, it's free for the people who are watching. But it's a lot. But it's not free for the participants. Mm. But it is such a rush. It is mm-hmm. so exciting. And people who 
participate, love it. I mean, you all would love it. Mm-hmm. You really should come and ride. Yeah. All right, I mean, so, so here's, here's the deal. I, my fear is that February of 21 will not happen. Mardi Gras will not happen, I'm guessing. Well, let me tell you, it's in the works. You know, we're People praying. are planning for it. Well, I have it on, well, not on good authority, but I'll tell you this. We are ever hopeful. I am as well, but let's assume for a second it doesn't work out. I will definitely be there in 22. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, we will. You, you cannot here. spend the whole time on Bourbon Street. No, no. no, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be off Bourbon Street the entire time. But bring the family. I'm 51 now. But yeah. by Bourbon 21, Street is no fine. No, I'm with you. My daughter will be a senior in high school. Uh, my oldest, my youngest, will be a uh, freshman in high school. My son will be off to college at that point. I try to so bring, I'll bring the kids home every year for Mardi Gras. Yeah, it is. We do family Mardi Gras. They Mardi, have it. They I'm have coming. it in the next parish over, as well as Orleans Parish. So we go back and forth, and it is family. I mean, we only do family. Before you know it, she'll have you out of flu, and rotted in Sparta. <laughs> so for us, <laughs> for us, it's only family. I mean, we don't go in the French Quarter, but, mm-hmm. you know, except maybe to to show you around. Ride the down day. the street. Okay. Anyway, what are the what are the quarters, real quick? There's French Quarter. The French Quarter is well. The French Quarter is the original city. Okay. All right. The French Quarter. It was the the French Quarter. You know, New Orleans was French and it was Spanish. It was French. It was Spanish. It went back and forth under French and Spanish rule. So the French Quarter was French, and it was separated from the American sector by Canal Street, which was a canal, which, well, I guess when it was filled in, it was a neutral, we call it the neutral ground instead of the median, Mm. because it was the neutral zone. It was the neutral ground. So we call the median the neutral ground. So any median that we talk about, we call the neutral ground, because from that. So the French Quarter is the original city, and it didn't flood in Katrina, because the city was built in the highest part of the area. Right. So it did not flood. Still not very high, but high enough. Not high. Yeah. yeah. But right on the river. Right on the river. It's bounded by the river. So when you say quarter, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that there's four quarters. It's just a, a section of the city. Or are there... He's, it, he's looking for three other quarters. Is it one of four quarters? <laughs> oh. You know what I mean? <laughs> no. No, the French quarter. The quarter. No. Like... Like um, like the section. It's, the not, a ma- it's, section. Not, a, it's not a no. math thing. Yeah, no. Yeah. No. Well, Jerusalem's divided that way. Uh, so I was wondering if it's the same. No, it's not. No, 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 uh, no. And I can't. If you get any further into the quarter talk, I can't. I'm not no. going to respond. <laughs> I, I, uh, I hereby retreat. Um, well, so let's, let's talk about what you were doing in your uh, 20s. Were you, were you a teacher in your 20s? I was. I was. When I first, um, when I got married the first time, <laughs> the first time. Um, I was in college, and my husband was in law school, and he was driving um, a bus, a school bus for this little private school, and I was teaching. And after I taught there a little while, I applied to a public school, and um, I was really excited. I was going to college at night and teaching, uh, teaching math during the day, uh, fourth and fifth grade. And I was, I don't know, let's see, Julie was born. Okay. I guess I was about 22 or 3. And so um, 
it was after the schools were already integrated, but, but not too many years into integration. So Julie was born in 69, so it must have been 67, 68. So what happened in New Orleans with integration, it, it, was, it was almost like um, where there were public schools, the schools went from black public schools and white public schools to mostly public schools with black children. There were some white students, but not too many, which was unfortunate because that really is an integration. And, and, so, the, and the white kids essentially went away from the city. The white kids kind of went to yeah. private schools mm. or went somewhere else. Right. There, were a f there was one, I remember, um, to this day actually, Lusher Elementary School maintained kind of a 50-50 balance to their credit. They, they did a great job uh, integrating their, their school. Um, but the, the strange part of it, when I um, went to Wilson School and, and it was a, a, a public school I was familiar with because it was in my neighborhood growing up, the faculty was still white. And, I, and then when I asked about it, um, in the in the formerly black public schools, the faculties were still black, so the faculties were not integrated. It doesn't sound like integration. It wasn't yeah. integration. So at that at the school I was um, working, teaching, there was one substitute on the faculty who was a black lady, and all of us were white, and and mostly young. Not everybody was young, but a bunch of us were young, and the children were primarily black. So with no, with no history, no experience, we went to the principal after I had been there a, a, a number of months, and we said, and this is something, and I digress because this is weird. We, the school system tried to help us acclimate to this new teaching situation. Um, they sent us to class, classes for white students to teach black students, for white teachers to teach black students, because we, it was hard to communicate. Um, and this is, was, they were just being honest and real, and you could be honest and real then. You can't be so honest and real today, but you could be very honest and real. We were trying really hard to teach, and, and they were helping us. And I'll just give you an example. Um, there was a situation in my classroom, and this little boy says, Miss um, Herzog, he's mailing me. And I said, um, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, and he, he says, he's mailing me. And I said, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, let me help you. And he says, stop mailing me. And I said, I don't know what mailing means. And she said, and she said, it's not mailing. And I said, smelling? And I said, I don't understand. You, you have to go slowly and just tell me. And the little boy says, he's meddling with me. <laughs> and he was in line and meddling with him. And I said, stop meddling with him. And I said, thank you. 
Mm. And I and I understood, but we couldn't understand. It, it was difficult to understand. But but we we, so I understood. So I could help and intercede, and I did, and I was thankful. But we went to the principal and we said, "Please hire this lady. She can help us. We we can't we can't always understand. It's not that we don't want to. We need help." And she, she can help us. So the principal was a true racist. And I say that in today's world because there are racists. And she said, I will never hire a black teacher because one day, one day, Miss Herzog, your daughter's going to want to teach and she's not going to get that job because a black teacher is going to take that job from her. And I sat there and thought, if my daughter can't get a job, shame on her. Yeah. Then too bad. So I thought, I said, Miss Vianne, that makes no sense to me. She's dead now. I can use her name. Okay. <laughs> Jeff was a little worried there. This is going to be retribution yeah. from our 27 She's listeners. Dead. Connection. She's dead. Your PR representative. May she rest in peace, that racist. <laughs> and so there were about eight of us. And so... We said, well, you know what? This is wrong. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. You can't have her come to work every day. And we didn't know anything. We just knew it was wrong. It was just wrong. You can't have her be a day-to-day substitute. You have to hire her. Hire her like us. I mean, I didn't even have a degree. And I was, I was teaching, but what they call you, um, I don't even remember what my title was. Temporary, I don't even, something. I don't even know what. It's okay. Anyway, she was a teacher, and she wouldn't hire her because she was black. So we took, we went to the school board, um, and we, we found <laughs> the only black assistant superintendent. And he said, I don't want to rock the boat. Mm. So we took it somewhere else. And we kept taken it and finally we found somebody and we said look we've got some problems here we've got a racist principal we're teaching black students we are all teachers all we want to do is teach yeah we want to do our job we just want to do our jobs the other thing the principal says is you don't have to teach that i said look please don't give me math i'm not good at it she says you're going to teach math (laughs) she said she said they can only Oh, no. I want to get this right. I think the way she said it, she says, it doesn't matter how you teach. They can only sing and run. Oh. I said, did you really tell me that? There's nothing worse than having low expectations. Let me tell you something. We took this to the school board. We had a full-blown walkout of... The children. We organized the, the PTA. Right? We organized the PTA, which she had banned. Um, I was raised very, very liberal. My father's. I'm, I'm going to digress, so you'll know where I was coming from. My father had the only men's clothing store in the city that allowed black men to try on clothes. Seems crazy today. I know it seemed crazy then, hmm. but the NAACP picketed him when they were trying to um, uh, 
integrate, not integrate, but eat at Wool, the Woolworths counter. Right. All yep. the Woolworths. So they picked, my, the store was very small, but he, he only had three salesmen. One was always black. Always, always, always. And his name was Daryl, and I'm going to use his name. And he went to the NAACP, and he said, Mr. Zoller discriminates against me because I'm black, and he only lets me sell underwear and socks. So they had a meeting. when They, they, they picketed our store. Signs, picketing. Mm-hmm. Don't shop here. So we had a meeting, and my husband at the time uh, was a new lawyer, brand new. And when they and sat down, he had just graduated, sat down and said, said, why are you picketing? And he, and, da, and Daryl says, because he's, you know, and he said, that is not true. The senior salesman sells suits because he gets more commission. The junior salesman sell everything else, sell sweaters and slacks and sport coats and everything everything else shirts and ties and everything but the senior gets to sell the suits because he's the senior it's a tenure thing yeah it's a tenure mm-hmm. thing and they said oh our mistake they didn't say i'm sorry but years later i tried to get an apology i finally got it and that's another story not from them, but I got a public apology, and that's a good story. So, it was it, it was a mistake, but it it happened. But this was my father. We didn't, you know, being Jewish, you just when you're discriminated against, you don't want to discriminate against anybody else. I mean, why would you do that? How hypocritical! Mm-hmm. So, Dad was crushed by this turn of events. It didn't make him hard, and it certainly didn't harden me. But that's why I was the way I was. Right. That's why I was. So when I saw this happening, um, I immediately went for the underdog because it was wrong. It was just innately wrong. So I couldn't just turn a blind eye. So what ended up happening is we did integrate the faculty. We did have her removed. We did, and, and it wasn't that we set out to hurt her, but she was in a bad place, and this is 51 years ago. She wasn't helping, for sure. She was yeah. not helping, and it was, it was a bad place for her to be. If she couldn't change with the time, she had to move on. And her, she her job move. was to educate children, right, or administer well, her at the school so they could educate. She should have moved on, and she didn't move on. I moved on. I decided, I mean, the school board was horrible, and I decided I was never going to be a teacher again, and I wasn't. At the end of that year, at the end of that year, I was pregnant with Julie, my first child, and I said, I will never teach for the Orleans Parish School Board again, and I didn't. Mm. I decided that was it, and I didn't. I just, that was it. And that one experience got me. And there were a number of things that happened that year at that school and I just, they treated us like shit. Mm. They interrogated us. We, we joined the teachers union and we got a lawyer. I mean, we, we were really serious about this and I was like 23 years old. Um, so never to teach again. I mean, I've taught other places, not really teaching, but preschool. But 
I, the whole experience, I'm proud that I did it. Um, I'm proud of myself, even more proud today. But, but I would, I just, I was never going to teach again. So that's, that's my teaching experience. But I will tell you something. Um, about eight years ago, uh, I had an experience in City Park at the museum, mm -hmm. and um, somebody broke into my car with a, with a chunk of cement. So I called 911. 911. And the police came and they said, Oh, this is, a, we need the City Park police. So this young man came and I forgot to sign something. And he came to my house and he said, He looked at me and he said, Did you teach at Wilson School? Did your name used to be Herzog? And I looked at his name on his uniform and I said, Oh my God, Billy Mims, you were in my fourth and fifth grade class. I taught you for two years in a row. And he said, Miss Herzog, you were my favorite teacher. <laughs> you gave me tickets to the circus and I never forgot you. Oh my God, I cried. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Oh my God. Not only is he the chief of police uh, for City Park, the City Park Police, but he's the lead singer in this great band and I knew his brother. I mean, I've worked with his brother, Al, and I didn't even realize. So I was reunited, and I went to one of his concerts, and he called me up, and he said, y'all, this is my teacher. Oh. <laughs> and he sang to really, me. Yeah. So that was very cool. So of my three years teaching, two of them were with Billy Mims in my class. So it's come full circle. So now we're great friends. and You made an impact. Really I know, yeah. I know, and I just didn't, didn't even know it. I didn't even yeah. understand math that well. <laughs> Do you understand how wrong the French Quarter questioning was around the whole quarter thing? I, I regret yeah. it now. <laughs> Do you remember what Billy Mims' band was called? The Mystics. The Mystics. It's a good name. Look them up. Are they still performing? Oh, oh absolutely. They're a, um, like a doo-wop. Okay. It's, they, um, they sing, you know. Would he be good on the podcast? Oh, he's fabulous. Oh, yeah, when I, when I come down in February of 22, we'll, oh, my we'll God. bring the equipment. He is. I don't know why you're, you're looking you at the You have to like Google him, happen. Billy Mims. We got him. He's so cute. I have him in my he's phone. So he's, re he's recorded for posterity on this he's record episode. But the other person you have to talk to is, is one of the finest men I've ever met. Okay. Um, the last For the last 10 years, almost 11 years, I guess, um, I've been really lucky um, because because all these years, um, well, I was married, you know, to Mitchell for a number of years and had Julie and Billy in '69 and '71, and um, and then she saved the best for last. <laughs> <laughs> then I married uh, Jen's dad, who I was crazy about. But I was involved in politics. I meant me, the best for I, life. I know. Just I'm just to clarify. I, I know who you're talking okay. about. <laughs> she wanted so, to clarify for the audience. Yeah. <laughs> so I, the reason I didn't go into the men's clothing business is because I just love people and I love politics and I've always been involved in politics and I love the city and it, it, it it's my vehicle to get around and I, I am a connector of the dots. If you need something done, you call Ann Kiefer. And, and I will 
put the people together. I'd like uh, Peyton Manning on the podcast. Man, can you <laughs> pull that off? <laughs> can we go to somebody? Can, would you like Leon Canizero instead? <laughs> yeah, he sounds amazing. Is he the current DA? He is. Okay. <laughs> can you keep it political? <laughs> I can get you some great policemen. I can get you the district attorney. I can't get you Peyton Manning. Um, but I can have been... captains of parades. I can get mm. you captains of parades. I can get you lots of keep it local. different... Yeah, let's keep it local. Um, but there have been some amazing people in the city who have really made a difference. And um, I've been really lucky because at my age, you know, I should have been retired a long time ago. But because New Orleans is New Orleans and it's kind of about, you know, where you've been and what you've done and, and, and who you're connected to in life and how well those connections hold, I was really lucky. Um, I got involved in the criminal justice system in 1981 when I married Jen's dad, Buzz Kiefer, and he... He said, would you be my minute clerk? And I said, what is that? And he said, well, you'll you'll figure it out. And he (laughs) says, I need somebody to watch my back. And I said, well, I I can watch your back. This is before they outlawed nepotism. Because who better to watch somebody's back than somebody's wife? So when I got into court, I realized that you really need somebody you can trust. Um, Nepotism is really a good good thing, y'all, because, you know, you need somebody there who, who... who doesn't care about anything but doing the right thing. And that was me. And when I learned about uh, criminal court and the criminal justice system, I fell in love with it. Mm. And it, it was law and order and everything, you know, to the max. And uh, one of the things Buzzy had to do is uh, 24-7 when he was on, he had to sign warrants for arrests. Uh, our search warrants and Jennifer thought for years that we we were she was uh, related to every cop on the force because they were in and out of our house all the time but um it was amazing this you know to to read things that go on and uh and be a part of it of the system so for 25 years I worked in criminal court and I was really proud to be a part of that after Katrina, um, I retired from criminal court and a dear friend ran for district attorney. And Leon Canizero has been such an amazing addition and such an amazing show of strength to the criminal justice system in New Orleans. And I have been so, so blessed to be part of his office all these years. And he's at the end of his term now and the city has just been lucky to have him. I don't know if he's going to run for re-election or not. He served two terms already. How long is the term? Twelve. Uh, six. Uh, excuse me. Six years. So he's so, two so by he's, six, he's, yeah. he's just finishing up at the end of this year. He'll be at the end of the second term. So um, I, for eight years, I ran what we call the DA's Academy, where we bring in the public and we teach them about who we are and what we do and Leon just breaks down the law and just teaches it layman style and we serve dinner and just let everybody kind of 
tear us apart and say, you know, why'd you do that? And, 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 and why'd you, you know, you shouldn't have done that. And, and we bring in our, our lawyers. And every week it's a different part of the law. Um, I mean, there are gangs in New Orleans. And we have one lawyer who talks about it and shows slides. And one night, a lady stayed afterwards and she said, that was my little cousin. I, we didn't even know he was in a gang. Mm. And, and, and it, it is eye-opening. It is spellbinding. Um, I was mesmerized every week at, at the, the talent, but more so the commitment that we have from these lawyers. And it's not like they get paid a lot. It certainly doesn't compete with the private sector, what they could make um, <clears throat> doing defense work or doing something in civil law, but they are passionate and they love it. And there's some bad people out there. So these are public, like public defense attorneys or prosecute? District? This is, these are the prosecutors. D okay. This is attorney. the district attorney. This is, this is the, <clears throat> the prosecutor for the parish of Orleans for the state of Louisiana. This is just criminal. Okay. And they would have these sessions with, with dinner, like you're saying, and, and basically share their expertise about whatever topic that they specialize in? Whatever it is. In. One week was homicides. One week was uh, sexual assaults, uh, rape. And they, and they would... So, so who are the kind of people that would come and listen? Everybody. We also gave um, continuing education to lawyers. So we'd have a handful of lawyers who needed their continuing education hours. So there would be lawyers in the group. There might be social workers because we work with a lot of social workers. We have a huge department of, for diversion and victim witness assistance, and they're all master's level. Uh, in some persuasion, they could be social workers. They could just be whatever, counselors. Um, and, and so anybody in that field would come to learn more, to just be hands-on with the DA and, their, and the lawyers. Um, it could just be somebody from Neighborhood Watch who's just involved in their neighborhood or just is interested. We had, <coughs> pardon me, my uncle lived in an assisted living facility. Ten of them would, were coming. Um, they loved it. Oh, my God, they were all professionals. But they were older, and they just loved it. He told me he just passed away from COVID. Um, when I got it, I got it from him, and he didn't survive. But the memories are great. Uncle Jack said, I came, I came to this class for you, but I stayed for me. Um, I mean, to be up close and personal with the DA every week, and there was Leon sitting on the ice chest in the corner, you know, as down-to-earth as he could possibly be. I mean, you would want to talk to this man. We're, we're going to talk to him. Um, he's... Um, but they opened it to general anybody. public as long as you didn't have pending charges. You, just, you, couldn't, right? have you couldn't have any pending have charges, charges in our office, naturally. I mean, you couldn't be on probation or parole from our office. Um, and that was it. We even let a reporter from the local newspaper in. He has not written one nice story about us yet. Mm, but you keep letting him in. Right? I'd like to say, <laughs> I'd like to say that, but I'm not going to say it because Jennifer keeps giving me the axe over there. <laughs> um, yeah, we did let him in, but he, we haven't gotten a good story yet, but I guess there's always hope. So, Ann, when you say Orleans Parish, that's basically New Orleans. 
Yes, it is only New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. Orleans so he, Parish is only New Orleans. So he is the D- DA for New Orleans. For New Orleans. He's, he's a serious player. He's a serious player. Yeah. He, um, in fact, when, um, when we just buried my former son-in-law, I, I asked the best Catholic I knew to conduct the memorial service, and that was Leon Canizero. I said, I, I, said, I know you've conducted weddings because he's a former judge. Right. Mm-hmm. I said, and I know you've never conducted a funeral or a memorial service, but would you do this? And he said, I will. Because you asked. Because mm-hmm. I asked. Yeah. And my rabbi concluded it. <laughs> We've covered it all. And the, rab- the, rabbi, the rabbi said, have you ever been to a Catholic funeral where the district attorney starts it and the rabbi ends it? <laughs> but the rabbi's my cousin, so. Uh, right on. That's the gumbo for you, right? That's the gumbo. That's the gumbo. One way or another, we are getting to heaven. <laughs> but let me tell you, I have been so lucky. I've, I've just been so lucky. So, um, But that's Leon, and he and his wife and his kids. I mean, I, I'm just proud that, that they have... You know that they're ours, and I'm. I'm. I hate to see his term in. I don't. We still don't know if he's going to run for re-election, and um, but I'm just. I've been blessed to be in his office. Mm. Well, you mentioned uh, he sounds amazing, and we're definitely going to have him on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, he's you, only this big. Even better. <laughs> it, it sounds Italian. Yes, yeah. very. Yes. Uh, my mother-in-law is he's uh, very. My mother-in-law's full Sicilian, and she's that tall. Yeah, as well. he's Sicilian. For, for our listeners, Anne's hand and my hand are about three feet off. The <laughs> uh, but you mentioned COVID, uh, and unfortunately, your family member passed away. Yeah, but you he caught did. it as well. And Jennifer and I worked together. And Jennifer was telling me my mom has COVID, and it's oh god, it's, it was it's scary. rough. So tell us about. She that. was Jennifer was so worried, and and. I hated to worry everybody, but I was so scared. Um, I attended a family wedding. My niece got married on March the 7th, I think it was, Saturday, on the riverboat Natchez, on the Natchez. And Uncle Jack was in great health. I mean, he had some issues, but great health. You know, he's traveled and, you know. And he uh, took, a, took a lift and got to the boat himself. And he, and he asked, he said, look, um, Ann, can you give me a ride home? I said, absolutely. He says, not too much trouble. I said, look, the longer I can spend with you, the happier I always am. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think of the, those words, and I think, oh, my God, thank God I got to spend that whole day with him. So I spent the whole day on the boat with my uncle. And, and as an aside, he also delivered all three of my children. He was yeah. my OBGYN. Oh. So I had a really special relationship <laughs> with him. Wow. So anyway, this was my dad's youngest brother. This was the youngest one. So um, at the end of the day, I took him back to Lambeth House, kissed him goodbye, had no idea that was the last time I would see him. And that night, he called my sister whose daughter had just gotten married and said, Gail, has anybody, is anybody not feeling well? Because I'm not feeling well. And she said, no, not to my knowledge. So I found out that the next day was Sunday. He got sick. And Monday, I think they took him to the hospital, but he didn't stay. And I don't even know if they tested him. Um, 
But Tuesday, I was at a meeting with the DA, and Tuesday night, I started coughing. So Wednesday morning, I went to my ENT doctor. And remember, this is in the very beginning. It was so March eleventh. That Wednesday was the yeah, right. Yeah. But this was before. This is before they had like, test sites or anything. This was right. But yeah, they like, were like, t- like a couple of weeks before. <laughs> they right. were talk. So they were was... talking about talking about it, but but it was not. It wasn't that popular here. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of talk about it, but things weren't shutting down. Nobody. Was Nobody. Nothing was shut. Nothing was shut down. So I told my doctor. I said. Um, you know, I have this terrible cough. I do have some medicine with codeine. Um, but I said, I, I want to tell you that I, I think I, I think my uncle has um, no. the coronavirus. No, no uh, not in the beginning. Well, I, the no, I told, him, I told him I might have been exposed to it, but I'm not sure because I don't know. And he, this is what he told me. He said, if you have any other symptoms except a cough, Call me back because you've got to get tested. You've got to find out. I said, where would I go? And he said, I don't even know. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I said, well, what do I do? He said, call me back. So the next day, I woke up with chills and fever. Well, I think I had fever. I had chills. The next day, yes, I did. The next day, I was so sick, I couldn't call my doctor. I couldn't. You don't know, Jennifer, because I didn't call anybody. Uh, yes, Mom. I had chills. And so the, the following day was Friday. This is the Ann Kiefer story, so we're going to let Ann tell it. The f- <laughs> next day was Friday. So I called the doctor, and I said, I was so sick yesterday, I couldn't call you. And he said, what happened? I said, I had chills, but I took my temperature, but I don't think it's working because it said I didn't have any temperature. But I think I did have a temperature. Mm-hmm. Do you remember who told you to say that? Who? Me. <laughs> But I had chills. The days are a little bit off. And All right. Well, I had chills nice. that day because I no, remember I wrapped up in a blanket. Right. That's why we thought the thermometer wasn't working. Okay. So, you, were you there? No. <laughs> the, yeah. Remember okay. we kept calling you? Just continue. Okay. So, he said, you have to go get tested. And I said, where do I go? And he says, well, try an urgent care. I said, I look like shit. I mean, I've been sick. <laughs> he said, it doesn't matter. Go. So, I... Got dressed, and I, I mean, I'm sick, and I'm going to go with all the, anyway, I went. So I went to the urgent care, and I'm sitting there for an hour before they take me, and I'm trying to <coughs> cough in my hand, because I didn't have a mask or anything. Nobody did. No. Yeah. So I, it's my turn, and I go, and I said, I think I've been, ex- I'm t- talking in her face, but she's got a mask. <laughs> and I said, I think I've been exposed to the coronavirus. Yep. And she says, here, put this on. <laughs> and by this time, the Lambeth house where Uncle Jack was now has like eight or nine true confirmed cases, because now we're about eight or nine days out. Right. Right, eight or nine mm. days. Okay. Right. So the Lambeth House now has truly confirmed cases. Um, they've traced it back to some residents who had recently traveled overseas um, and who had come back. With, they had two first confirmed cases. Um, so the testing site you went to, I think they had 10 tests. They had 10 they, tests, and, and they, they said, we'll only, give you one. Right. They only um, had 10 tests. Yeah. Mm. So they said, if you, ha- if you have the flu, we'll give you whatever, Theraflu. If not, we'll send it off mm-hmm. for the virus. Yeah. So she came back. She said, you don't have the flu. Uh-oh. And I said, what do I do now? She said, you're quarantined for two weeks. Yep. I said, what do I do? 
She said, take care of yourself as best you can. Here's a sheet of whatever, you know, <laughs> hydrate. Uh, I said, who's going to take care of me? <laughs> and she said, you are. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do I do? I mean, I need a doctor. So I call my doctor. And, and, it, and I said, are you going to treat me? And he said, no. I said, give me that medicine that the president's taking. No, by that time it wasn't a thing. So he said, he going. said, I, he said, I can't give you anything. You weren't really sick then. You don't. You might not fully remember. No, so, I wasn't sick. And right, I, but yes. I called him. Right. Okay. So anyway, so I wasn't sick. Very you had a really sick. bad cough at this. But point. I'm still coughing and coughing. Yep. So it was Saturday, Sunday. My friend came over and brought me ice cream, and I think that's the last thing I could taste. Mm-hmm. Starting Monday, I started to lose my sense of taste. Yeah. So I stopped eating because mm-hmm. I couldn't taste. So I remembered to drink water, a lot of water. Mm-hmm. But I, and I'm coughing and coughing and coughing. Like can't speak to us. Like coughing spells so bad. I, could, I couldn't talk. Like breathing, right. Mm. So I was afraid to take the um, cough medicine with codeine because I was afraid I would go to sleep and I would forget. I would sleep so deeply I would forget to drink water. So I, would, I didn't take the codeine. I would just drink water and cough and drink water and cough. But when I did sleep, I would take it at night, a little, like a little tiny bit, so I could sleep. So I would fall asleep and wake up in a sweat. And I would think, well, I've broken the fever. But the fever never got over 101, never. It was low-grade fever. But I would wake up with nightmares. I was telling you about the nightmares. Yeah. And other people I've spoken to have had nightmares, and they would wake up in, with night terrors. And I wouldn't even know where I was, but I would be completely drenched. I think she was dehydrated. So I would just go to another bed. I mean, the bed was completely wet. Mm. And I would just go to another bed. And I was exhausted because I hadn't eaten. So I would just drink water, drink water, kept drinking water. And that lasted. On Tuesday, you went to the hospital. Oh, I I took myself to the hospital because I thought, well, maybe I have pneumonia. No, you were gasping for your mom. Yeah. You, yeah. So I thought I had pneumonia. Mm-hmm. So I go to the hospital. I drove myself to the hospital. She wouldn't wait for my sister to get there. <laughs> I wouldn't wait. At, well, so I went to the hospital and I said, I think I have pneumonia. So they took a chest x-ray and they checked um, my oxygen levels. And they said, you're not sick enough for us. You don't have pneumonia. Go mm-hmm. home. We'll give you some little cough beads which did nothing it was nothing <laughs> this was in mid-march yeah mm-hmm. so i was hungry she wouldn't let me come home i wouldn't let I well because i was afraid i would give it to you yeah we really didn't know i, I was I terrified but i was terrified so i remember going to bud's broiler and i got a hamburger with covid with COVID, <laughs> and i've got on a mask we didn't know <laughs> i was starving well no we didn't have the results back I was, then all of a sudden i was hungry so I got a hamburger patty because I'm allergic to gluten. So I couldn't eat anything. She was starving. Oh, I also had diarrhea. Oh, my. Like that. <laughs> that was another symptom. I mean, this is, we're trying to understand the, the medical aspects here. So, yeah. Yeah. Nothing is TMI. <laughs> so it was like that for another week. And then on Wednesday, the next week, 
<laughs> the next week, I woke up, and I didn't have any fever. I was taking my my temperature like three times a day and checking it with everybody. We would call her every hour. <laughs> To make sure I wasn't dead. They were mm-hmm. afraid I was going to die. That's scary, yeah. She had four bad days. I remember calling my brother. We couldn't get a hold of her. And when she was bringing herself to the hospital, and I just broke down. I said, I can't lose my mom. I'm uh, not ready for my mom to go. I was terrified. I, I was really scared. Because um, in the beginning, COVID, elderly equaled Yep, yeah. Death. Still yeah. to an extent, yeah. It was really scary. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't know how I got through it. But I think I'm relatively healthy. I think I'm pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a little high blood pressure, very little. Um, but I, but I, because I'm gluten free, I don't eat a lot of stuff. I don't eat a lot of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, there's very little I can eat, so I don't eat stuff that would clog my system. Right. And it went right through me anyway because I already shared that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was drinking a lot of water. And I, it took me all of about five days to gain all the weight that I lost. Wow. And the taste came back slowly. By the time she started feeling better, we finally got her results. Her, her results took three weeks to come in initially. Two weeks. Three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah, the lady called and she says, hi, Miss Kiefer, how are you feeling? And I said, better. And she said, this is Ashner Hospital. Uh, we have the results <clears throat> of your test. You tested positive. And I said, why did it take so long? <laughs> she said, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, a lot of people tested at the same time. so We thought um, they were lost. Well, and the, the test itself, even if you got to the front of the line, it was still going to take days, mm-hmm. I think. Well, yeah. it was all right. I mean, what difference does it make? They treated me like I had it yeah. anyway. Right. They and treated- there was really no treatment. There wasn't any treatment. When you called the doctor and wanted wanted to be treated was after the right at the hospital point when you really well, that's got right. sick. Yeah. He said, I'm not going to treat you. And I said, said, you're going to be, be, I said, you're gonna be sorry. You might be sorry. I might die. <laughs> and he said, I don't think so. <laughs> so I don't know what the, um, the repercussions of having the virus are. I got a sinus infection right after, so I had to go get a shot. And you gave you tried giving blood. Oh, that's a good story. That's a good story. So Ashna calls me. Like, <laughs> I am in the Ashner system, um, insurance system. So they call me. They say, Miss Kiefer, we know that you had <clears throat> the coronavirus, and we'd like you to give um, plasma. And I said, Oh, I'm so glad you called. And you know, my uncle died, and I want to get back. You know, I, whatever I can do. You know, can I have a party or can I do something? <laughs> And so, um, <clears throat> so they were very nice, and, and the questions, the questions, they kept me on the phone like 45 minutes. The questions went from, have, did, have you had sex in the last year? Have you had sex for money? Have you had sex with anybody of the uh, opposite sex, of the same sex Ooh, wait, for on. money? Have they had sex for money? I said, I don't know. I don't, do you want me to find out? I don't know. These are the same questions you ask when you give blood, I think. I right? mean, really? <laughs> really? I said, do I have to call him and find out? <laughs> have you had sex for money? Have you had sex with anyone of your sex for money? How embarrassing. I don't even know him that well. <laughs> <laughs> 
Jennifer's loving this. <laughs> she doesn't know him. <laughs> but Tristan does. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So, so wait a minute. So... So then Did they have said, a question? "Did you want to ask a question?" They said, I was, "No." It's... They said, "Are you pregnant?" And I said, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> they said, "Have you ever been pregnant?" And I said, "Yes." So they go on and on. So they said, "Okay, we're going to schedule you for, you know, uh, laboratory work and blah blah blah." So then the next day, in the meantime, I get an email that says, "You have a message in your." Whatever they call it. Your portal. Portal. I couldn't remember my password to get in my portal. So I called my brother. My, my brother. Son. My son in Los Angeles. Oh. I said, Billy, you got to go in and change my password. We all got to help you. Because I, I have a message from Oscar. And it must be important. But I don't remember my password. <laughs> Mom. He said, Mama, this is ridiculous. <laughs> it gets better. So <clears throat> he goes in my portal. <laughs> and, he <laughs> and he changes my password. Like really he says, Wait till you this. see your message. <laughs> I can't give blood. You have been rejected. So I read the message. In the meantime, I'm not going to tell you what the message said because I get a call to schedule. Well, I'm going to tell you in a minute. I'm going to wait to make y'all wait. So I get a call the next day from somebody to schedule me to give plasma. And I said, you must not have read my message in my portal because I know you can see in it. Even though I couldn't see in it. She says, well, wait, let me see. And she says, oh, you can't get blood because you've been pregnant? <laughs> I said, what are you all doing? Most women have been pregnant. You don't even have to give birth. You've just been pregnant. I've been pregnant. I'm 75. You're calling all these women. I said, you either have to call men or nuns. <laughs> and I'm not sure about the nuns. <laughs> That's what she told them. No, I told that to a nun, too. <laughs> and she agreed. <laughs> well, because nuns were women before they were nuns. Yes, they were. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I couldn't give blood there. Because she had been pregnant. Because... because if you were ever Th that pregnant, doesn't make any sense. Well, fortunately, you could give blood because you've never been pregnant. I, I haven't. Yeah. Right. So, because that this is the reason, if you could get in my portal, you could read it. <laughs> <laughs> it gets better because if you've ever been pregnant in the in the system that they are using, they can't just it. It might give a false positive. There's a marker on a female's blood if she's ever been pregnant hmm. and they can't distinguish it now the blood center the blood center but but they didn't tell me to go to the blood center because they can distinguish it they can do a test and distinguish if it's a positive or a false positive but they couldn't do it because they're doing it all in-house and 
and their lab doesn't do that. Right. But they go through this whole man mishigas of questions. Oh my God, the most embarrassing <laughs> questions. <laughs> oh my God. On and on and on and on. And then they say, you can't get blood because you've been pregnant. You've been it pregnant. It should probably be the first question. That should be the f- I said, please, yeah. ask, ask a woman. <laughs> Number one, have you ever been pregnant? Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> Call the blood center. <laughs> a new so I, did, I, I was watching something like a PSA on television, and one of the uh, anchors was giving blood. And he went to the blood center. So I texted him and I said, thank you so much for doing this because I've just gone around the world with this craziness. I'm going to do that too. And so I did. And they were very grateful. And it worked out fine. So you eventually donated plasma. I did. I did. And Good it for was you. A, I have a picture too. So, and this is probably the most important question we've asked uh, to this point. Are you a uh, Saints fan? Oh, my God. I'm a season ticket holder. I knew that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And a very sad one at the moment because I don't know if we're going to be able to go to the games. I know. Isn't that crazy? They're going to play in an empty uh, stadium. Who does that? Apparently, we do in 2020. Mm. And this may be Drew Brees' last year. No, I think he's got a couple years in him. You mean with the Saints or playing football, period? Oh, he wouldn't play with anybody. I don't think he would. Yeah, he's, he's... too much of a now singer. talk about a stand-up guy. <clears throat> oh yeah, New Orleans loves him, right? Oh my God, we love him. Yeah, we love him. He he and his wife have done so much for the city. I mean, they they moved in and made it their own. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Mannings did the same thing. Yeah. You know, we we glossed over Peyton Manning, but Archie was loved. Oh my gosh, yeah. Archie Manning was our guy. Yeah, still and, is. And he still is. and he didn't have real success on the no, field. No, I, mean, I mean he's a great player, but they didn't win a lot of games. When no, he was there. the Saints sucked. <laughs> <laughs> so so and I'm I'm asking for a friend. Where are your season tickets in the Superdome? <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Oh my god. They're in section one thirteen, row fourteen. Mm. I mean, I could spit. <laughs> Onto the field, or they could say, "And suit up, and <laughs> <laughs> Kiefer, suit up." We're looking for a seventy-five-year-old woman <laughs> who's, been, who's been pregnant. <laughs> let me oh, let man. me just let me just tell you. Um, I should have brought I should have brought it with me. Uh, for twelve years, I had the honor and the privilege to sit on a, a board of higher education for the state, Southern University Board of Supervisors. It's the only historically black university system in the United States. Mm. And um, by terms of a consent decree years ago, uh, LSU and Southern had to integrate their boards. And um, I was the only white person on the board. Um, I was asked by my state senator if I would sit on the board, and I did. And it was a unique honor, and when I got there, and I was there a few months, and one of the board members said, why are you so comfortable here? And I said, because I'm Jewish. <laughs> and they said, what does that mean? And I said, I had to go through the whole thing again. And um, one of those board members, Tony Clayton, actually is running for district attorney of Baton Rouge. And I ran into him at a Saints game, and he says, you know, I get it. 
You made me listen to your story, but I get it. You know, I'm glad you told me because, um, but you have to know history. You know, you have to understand why that is. It's, it's, it, it's not always the, that way, um, but it does give us a unique vision of why things happen. But you have to have an understanding of history, and I'm not a student of history, I'm not. But from my perspective, I do understand. It gives me a little better understanding. Um, I don't agree with everything that's happening today. I don't. I have my own feelings about, I mean, I, I, not my own feelings. I have my own position on where I am today. And I, and I am not the raging liberal that I was when I was 23. I mean, I think as you age, you come back to the middle, you know, you kind of, you drift back to the middle because you realize that um, in life, you know, we, ha we, we have to have radicals on both sides. I mean, it's kind of what makes the world exciting. Yep. And, and I think I'm still radical and, and excited about what I'm excited about, but it's not all the time. But decisions are made in the middle. Um, it's the only way that, that, that anything gets done is when people come to the middle. It's not made over here or, or, or over here. It's, it's, it, it's exhausting. But that's where I was for a long time. Um, it's exhausting and it's, it, it's exhilarating. Um, it's where the action is. But, but the real difference is made right in the middle, right here. And, and my wish, you know, my hope is that we, the pen, pendulum <clears throat> comes back to the middle. It, it must, it has to. It's the only way we're going to really find um, real change and real commitment and where our, our police officers will be safe and where our cities will be safe again and where people like me at my age will feel, you know, like everything we've done in our lives is for something. Um, I know the passion people feel today. I mean, I, I know it. I mean, I... We created it too, you know, it's all part of me. But in order to, you know, for kids to, to learn and for teachers to teach, like I did, um, and for parents to feel empowered and to feel comfortable and safe and for you all to, to go back to work and for me to go back to work, um, we have to find that common ground, yep. that neutral ground. The boring common ground where things actually happen. Call yeah. it the neutral ground. Neutral's better. Yeah. Because that's what it is. And, and, it's, and it's where you can come and exchange ideas without fear and without reprisal. And, 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 and when you know that in the end, you won't get everything you want, but you'll get something. And you'll walk away without feeling defeated and I think we have to have hope that that there's going to be a better day and no I am I am absolutely against kneeling for the national anthem I don't I, I will never think that that's okay it's not okay it's not okay for Uncle David and it's not okay for Ann 
it's not okay. And I, I appreciate um, everything that went before me and, and I'll appreciate everything that's going to go after me. But don't fucking kneel for that. You know, don't do that. Don't degrade everything that my uncle died for. And I'm sorry that Drew Brees had to apologize for that. Well, and I, this is most I've laughed out of the 35 episodes we've done. It's a somber thing to end on, but I think it's appropriate to end on. We loved having you here. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad you got to spend some time with your daughter. Thank fine. you for having me. You know, I, 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 I didn't know what I would say really. Um, I've loved my life. Um, I want to live a long time. I think the excitement is in the adventure of, of living it. I've always thought life was an adventure. I still do. Um, this is a tough time. This is probably, the, this is tougher than Katrina. We'll get through it. We'll get through it. I yeah. So. Yeah, I think, uh, and you have a, an electric energy about you, and, and you have a poetic way of describing things, and it's been really awesome to, to sit here and listen. So thank, thank you. you for joining us. I've never seen thank Daniel you. laugh that hard. <laughs> <laughs> I was crying. <laughs> yeah. All right, Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras 2022. 2022. Yeah, I'm, Let's I'm do down. It. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe through whichever app you're using. To share your thoughts, head over to our website at podso1.io, and there you can comment on episodes or send us feedback directly. Thanks for listening.